You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Man, today's episode is one that I have been waiting for for a long time, since November. Because, man, when I was out there hanging in a tree stand one day, and it was 70 degrees, and there was a ditch down below me, and I'm looking at the water, and I'm just thinking, man, I would, I would love to just jump out of this tree right now and get down in that water and be, be cooled off. You know, I wasn't seeing any midday deer movement, but I was putting in the work with the all-day sits, and it was just really, really tough. But I decided rather than getting down, I was going to stick with it. I was going to pop in an AirPod and listen to the Antler Up podcast, which if you haven't listened to the Antler Up podcast, Jeremy Dinsmore... His co-host, Dimitri, the guys are fantastic. The show is also on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. But in this particular episode that I was listening to, they had a guy on named Ryan Glitzky. Now, if you don't know who Ryan is, he is a straight-up killer from Pennsylvania. The guy is serious about hunting, especially when it comes to the rut. Now, the last couple of years, I have really uh, drifted more towards pooling my time during the rut. I'm a public land hunter primarily. I don't have a ton of private ground that I hunt, and I don't have specific bucks that I'm after. I'm looking for the buck that makes me happy on that particular day, whatever that looks like. And so for me, I think that my highest odds time to be in the woods is right there during the rut. So in southern Wisconsin, where I really like to hunt, that's going to be the first two weeks of November. Where I'm hunting down here in Georgia, that might be, uh, you know, the second and third week of November. Where I hunt in Alabama, that's going to be, you know, one spot. It's going to be that December, Christmas into the first week of the new year time frame. Then where I hunt way down in South Alabama, that's going to be the first 10 days of February. But I have more and more the last couple of years concentrated my hunting time during the rut. Because honestly, any good buck will do for me at this point. And one of the things that drew me to Ryan is this guy is a self-proclaimed rut hunter. He also says a lot of things that resonate with me and what I observe, and that may just have to do with my particular hunting style. Maybe I've just gravitated more towards his kind of hunting style. But when I listened to the episode that he did with the Antler Up guys, I was sitting back, and man, it just got me fired up. I was was all about it. And so I took what Ryan was sharing with the guys during that episode. I implemented it over the next couple of days, ended up having a fantastic hunt with a great buck on the ground. So I attribute much of my success, uh, yes, obviously to the hard work that I put in, the scouting that I put in, and 
you know, everything that I did to work hard to get that deer. At the same time, the motivation that I got from Ryan, the tidbits of information that I picked up from Ryan went a long way in informing some of the decisions that I made, and I ended up getting a good deer. Now, I've got to say, uh, because of that, I, you know, was a little fanboyish when it came time to record this episode. So if I sound a little bit giddy, it's because I kind of was, because I look at this dude as a uh, long-distance mentor, if you will, even if he doesn't know it. He has certainly informed my hunting. So big thanks to Ryan for coming on the show. I think you're really going to benefit from what he talks about. We cover big woods hunting. We cover postseason scouting. We cover rut hunting. Just a good smattering of whitetail hunting information. And in particular, we really do drill down on the postseason scouting thing. So uh, yeah, lots to pick up and learn from this podcast episode. Before we get too far down the road, though, I do want to say thanks to our partners. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of this show. You know already they got the Tacticam 6.0 camera. gives you 4K 60 frame per second footage. They've also got the Solo Extreme camera. A little bit of a budget-friendly option. A little bit cheaper than the 6.0. Right now they're running an awesome deal to get you ready for turkey season, assuming that uh, you obsess over turkeys like I do. It's called the Ultimate Turkey Package. Right now for $299, you can get the Tacticam 6.0, a barrel mount, and an SD card. Now you might wonder... Why an SD card on there? I've got a ton of SD cards. A lot of guys don't pay good enough attention when you're grabbing an SD card for a camera, whether that's for your uh, your trail camera or your, your, your cellular trail camera or even your video cameras that you take into the woods with you. But the SD card that you use matters a lot. It can impact the quality of images or video that you are able to get. And so I like to buy my SD cards straight from Tacticam. That way I know that when I get them, they're going to work in my Tacticam cameras. So go check it out at their website, Tacticam.com, the ultimate turkey package, 299 bucks. That means you're going to be saving like uh, 75 bucks or something like that. The sale is going on today, March 15th, when I'm recording this, on through March 31st. So you got about two weeks. Don't sleep on it too long. Head over there, check that out. Even if you're not going to be turkey hunting, this is a great time to buy the 6.0 camera gearing up for next fall so that you can go ahead and slap that bad boy on your bow for next archery season and begin practicing with it, getting used to having something coming off the front of your bow. Next up, Huntworth. Guys, I've bragged on their camo uh, as much as I possibly can, but I do want to bring up right now, they have got an awesome deal going on right now, 20% off of everything on their site. Just use the code TRKYM20. TRKYM20. This is a sale intended to get you ready for turkey season. As I've said about 100 times at this point, I am wearing the tarnin pattern on into turkey season. I will let you know how it does. This will be my first spring in it, but I do know that during the fall, it performed flawlessly. I'm going to be all geared up in my early season garb as I'm out hunting turkeys about nine days from today. So a little over a week from right now, I'm going to have my son out. We're going to be going after his first bird. We had some great encounters last year, but we're not able to seal the deal. And I have confidence that this tarnin pattern is going to keep me concealed. So even if you are not a turkey hunter, however, head over to their website, take advantage of this 20% off sale, go ahead and get geared up for bow season, go ahead and get geared up for late season for next year, use this code TRKYM20, and the sale ends March 26th, so you don't have too long to get on that. Now with the commercials out of the way, let's jump right into the conversation, talking about postseason scouting and hunting the rut and all kinds of other good stuff with Ryan Glitzky. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Mr. Ryan Glitzky from Pennsylvania. Ryan, what's going on, buddy? 
so much, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I know you. We were just joking on on uh, off the air. You've done about a hundred of these things at this point, so I swear uh, <laughs> to God, yeah. <laughs> but dude, that's what happens when you start killing deer like the ones behind you on the wall there. Yeah, yeah, I guess I was somewhere. Like I said, I I say it all the time. God opened some doors for me here, and uh, you know I'm nothing special. There's a lot of guys that are way better than me out there. Just uh, some opportunities come ahead here, and uh, you know it's been pretty pretty cool. It's been a blessing, and I've been very humbled by it. Well, man, you you uh, you're one of those guys that. Uh, really draws my attention in the hunting space because you're one of the folks that puts in the work, right? Like you're not, mm. you're not the guy that's got, you know, big, beautiful food plots that you're like, Hey, I know I'm going to wait till November 4th and yeah. then go sit over that food plot and I'm going to kill him. Right. You yeah. are a guy who's put yeah. in the work year round. You're hunting areas that are accessible to pretty much anybody else. Right. You're just yeah. working yeah. harder. You're out working the rest of the competition. If we want to look at other hunters as competition. So, man, admire you from afar. Just like, wow, you, you really do the work. When I decided that I needed to get you on the show though, was this past November, right? I'm sitting in a tree saddle. It's 70 degrees on November 3rd, right? (laughs) Miserable, miserable. It's middle of the day, high noon. And I'm looking at this ditch that I'm sitting over and I'm like, I just want to jump in that water. Like it is so hot right now. This is (laughs) awful. Yeah. So I pop out my earbuds. Uh, I'm going to listen to a podcast, put an earbud air, air, air in uh, or earpod in one, one ear and try to listen to a podcast. And I listened to the Antler Up podcast because you were on there, right? Yeah. Uh, those guys are in PA too. And, man, you, you fired me up in that episode. Like just got me, <laughs> just got me jacked for hunting whitetails and hunting the rut and yeah. just breaking down your hunting strategy. And I was like, dude, this – this is it, man. Like this grind that I'm experiencing right now, the 70 degree heat in the yep. sun, like this yep. is the grind that he's talking about. You got to stick with it. Yep. And man, wouldn't you know it? 140 inch buck walks by that evening. And, uh, That's awesome. yeah. So, uh, but I, I, I backstrapped him and he got away. So, mm. so I listened to that episode though. And it was all about the grind and all about working hard and all about yeah. hunting the rut and all about yeah bouncing around and stuff and in that episode i think you talked a little bit about nathan killen who you had kind of oh, watched yeah. you know yep. his hunting style and yep. you talked about that and how yours are alike and different and all this stuff mm-hmm. and so i just took away a lot away from that episode and i kind of followed yep. what you'd said five days later i come across that same buck again and kill him so nice <laughs> so that's awesome yeah so yeah big thanks to you but i was like i gotta get that dude on the show whenever he's got a chance. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. So anyway, That's cool. appreciate everything you shared on there. Glad you're taking the time to do this. For those who maybe aren't familiar <laughs> with you, give us a quick rundown. Who is Ryan Glitzky? What do you do? How'd you get into hunting? All that good stuff. Uh, Ryan Glitzky, I'm from uh, Southwest PA. Uh, I work for Westinghouse Nuclear Fuel, uh, union gig, so uh, pays the bills and a little extra for the toys, you know. Um, started hunting when I was 14. Uh, my, you know, my dad got out me right for seed and stuff like that. Started bow hunting uh, when I was 16. Um, I've been forced to kill a deer every year I've hunted, buck or doe. Wow. Um, so uh, 31 years I've been doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, just, uh, you know, there's God and family. Then there's whitetails, man. It, it's just, uh, I love it. And older I get, I'm 46. I'm going to be 46 next week. And it's the process. Man, I absolutely live for the process anymore. I mean, we all like to kill. Don't get me wrong. That's why we do it. Sure. But at the end of the day, man, it's just putting the work in. You know, the scouting, 
the boots on the ground, the trail cameras, all that. That that to me is just what it's all about. Just it's icing on a cake when you get to walk, walk up to White Delhi Harvest. Yeah. Oh man, absolutely. And this was so this year for me stuck out because walking up on that buck um, that I shot this year. I'd put so much work into it and so much effort into it. And there was so much scouting, so much history, yes. just even with this spot that I've been hunting so much history with that location there in Wisconsin, yeah. that it was just like, man, it, it became, you know, for me that, that, that all about the process, like you just said, was realized yeah. at a whole new level for me. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I realized yeah. that, yeah, the kill was awesome, but it was hardly the, the totality of the story for me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it was everything else. But man, talk to me a little bit about your transition from a guy that likes to hunt to a guy with a bunch of big deer on your wall right now. Like, like, what were some of those aha moments maybe along the way? Or like, was there a time that you just made a choice? Like, okay, I'm killing a lot of deer. Now I'm going after a certain quality of deer. Yeah, a lot of that. I mean, I like you said, I've been fortunate to kill a lot of deer. Um, when I first started here in Pennsylvania, we have antler restrictions. You know, we've had them male restrictions for now. I think it's been maybe 20 years, give or take where it is. But, you know, I grew up in a time a spike was 160 incher. If you spike yep. or four corn, you know, because the pressure was so intense. Your year and a half year olds very rarely made it two and a half. So I really didn't know what a big buck was for years. And then probably it's been, uh, it's probably about 20, 28. I ended up killing uh, about 120 inch eight point. I killed with my bow. And I kind of lit the fire. I wanted to kill something big. And unfortunately, in PA, that was back in like 2000, uh, been like 2005, I think it was roughly around there when I killed that buck. And I wanted more. And I ended up going to a couple of outfitters. Um, I killed 140 inch from Wisconsin, killed another 140 in Illinois. And it just lit my fire. And then, fortunately enough, here in PA, we started getting some bigger bucks. Um, you know, I killed a lot of those 110, 115, 120 inch deer. That's a pretty good, solid buck for my area around here. Um, but then I started driving to Iowa. Uh, I got a pretty good gig out there. I met a couple of good guys. They run a real small little thing out there to where kind of can do my own thing. I've killed a couple big ones there. Um, so it, all that's just got to the point where I'm at now. Um, you know, I'm still going to kill 120-inch deer every year in PA. If it gives me an opportunity, I'm still at that point. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Um, that's a hell of a buck here in PA. Um, maybe eventually I'll start up in that bar a little bit. But right now, you know, I, my – like here, 123 and a half is a hell of a buck kill on public in PA, especially down the area where I'm at. Um, now I go out state, I off that bar a little bit to 130, whatever, in Ohio or something like that. Now, you know, Iowa is a special place. Um, that's where I'm chasing that four and a half plus, you know, 150 inch plus deer, you know. But, but um, that's just kind of where I'm at now with those. You know, I'm not a big numbers guy. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of the things that gets you excited to kill them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but. Like I said, the bar's getting a little higher. Um, I actually had the bar set probably a little too high this year, maybe. Um, I actually didn't kill a buck this year in PA. Um, it was a tough year uh, for a lot of guys, uh, you know what I mean? But I had some opportunities, a couple decent bucks, but nothing really that ever got me really excited. I had a, I had a couple bucks in that 130-plus, my biggest probably in the 150 I was after. I uh, just couldn't come together this year, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe the bar's goal was set a little too high or – just this, it was a bad year with the, with, you know, we knew how seasonally warm it was and that stuff too didn't really help this year. Yeah, man, those first couple of weeks, last week of October and first two weeks of November for where I was hunting was yeah. not good weather. It was either way yeah. too hot or raining with 40 mile an hour winds. Yeah, I mean, it, you figure, I mean, for me here, um, I take a month off and 
the first three weeks were warm, seasonally warm majority of the time. There was a couple of days in there you got a little bit of cold spell. Like I think it was like October 27, 28 there a little bit. Um, but only through the last week in October and into November, the first two weeks, it was pretty, pretty mild and warm. Um, that last week of Archer here for us, it's like middle of November. I think it went out like November 18th, our, our last week of the season. And uh, it finally cooled off. And I had about six days of good weather. Three of those days, it was sleeting, hell, freezing rain, snow. You had the temperature, but then you had the storm, you know. But, yeah. but it was like those three perfect days that were in there. Man, the deer I saw. Had a couple close calls and some good bucks I was after. Um, but then just ran out of time, you know. And that's a big thing I tell guys, man. Especially if you're a rut hunter, man, weather is king with yeah. whitetails. Weather is king. I mean, outside of heavy gun pressure, man, you know, you can get in that moon phase, get a lot of that stuff and pressure and all that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to that air temperature, in my opinion. You know, it really does. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's, you know, you mentioned the rut there a couple times. Let's talk a bit about your hunting style because um, because of family things and, and, and just the way our, our life situation is right now. We got three little kids and stuff. Like, it's hard for me to make a bunch of uh, uh, either trips or sits early in the season or to span it out across the entirety of a season, especially when I feel like my, my odds are pretty low, you know, getting out in the woods, September 29th. I don't have a lot of confidence that I'm going to kill a buck unless I've got one, you know, showing up on, on an Oak flat or something like that. Um, so one thing that I've started doing more and more of the last couple of years is really concentrating my hunting around the rut. And then this year I did very, very little early season uh, hunting, almost none, um, and when I was early season hunting, I was really putting out trail cameras and scouting for later in the season. You know, I was just mm-hmm. in there kind of seeing what I could see, concentrated all my time right there in a 15 day window during the rut. And man, yeah. I feel like I grew three years worth of hunting seasons in that two weeks oh. as compared to yeah. how I normally do it. Yep. Yep. Like, yep. So that was huge for me. So let tell me about your hunting style and kind of how you made the shift towards being what you're calling now as a rut hunter. Yeah, well, I'm kind of similar. Like here, here in PA, you know, our season typically comes in around October 1st. Um, and there's no doubt you can kill them early in through mid-October. Problem I have is the area like where I work and where I can hunt, like get out after the evening, after work, um, piss poor quality whitetail hunting. Like a lot of deer you're going to struggle to get on something 120 inches. I mean, you're going to struggle. It's rare to find something like that. And the areas that hold my quality box, well, it's going to be dark time I get there, you know? So that's why I don't really concentrate a whole lot in October. Um, You know, Saturdays, uh, you know, I I will hit the big woods and mountains to try to maybe kill something. But for me, I take a month off, you know? So, you know, my trail cameras, my scouting, all revolves basically from October 20th at the end of the season, you know, November 18, 19, 20, whenever it goes out of PA, all my scouting, my trail cameras, all of that is set up so I can capitalize in that three, four week period right there. Um, yeah. And that's, I've just, over the years, that's, you know, probably when I started, like I said, I started bow hunting, I was 16, probably my early 20s, maybe around there, I started figuring out this rut stuff. I started, you know, hunting in November and like, and, whoa, this is a different ball game here. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yep. And then you start taking a couple of days off of work here and there and three, four days. And, you know, you're seeing, you know, you're killing a buck, you're seeing deer. 
and there's something to it. it it's kind of funny because you you hear this trend out there on social media of all things of, you know, it's almost like people look down on rut hunters and stuff. Mm. I'm thinking there's no better time to kill white tail boy and girls. I mean, go look yeah. at record books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly I mean, great right. October. It's fantastic. I mean, you don't get me wrong. You can pattern a white to early October, mid October and kill them. I mean, especially at mid October, I told guys that October 13th and 19th, man, I get some phenomenal white tails daylight, you know, on camera. It's probably for me just getting there sometimes. But, uh, but like a lot of that too, a lot of times, uh, not against private land hunters, but a lot of that's when sometimes on your managed areas or managed properties on food plus stuff like that, a lot of us don't have access to that. Yep. And that's where I think guys like us, the rut is where you're going to capitalize on a pretty good deer. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm glad you hit that point because that was exactly where I was going to go with that. If I had, you know, 100 acres, 150, 200 mm-hmm. acres, something like that, where I felt like a lot of a buck's daytime movement is I, I can get it on my land that I have total control yeah. over. Yeah, sure. I, I can have a couple yeah. of really high quality sets early season because I've planted yes, what needs definitely. to be there. I've put the cover where it needs to be. I've managed and, you know, carefully set up my access to where it needs to be coming from. Like everything is manicured. When you're out there tromping around on public and hoping to find something munching on acorns, it's a lot different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause what, yeah. A lot of times, you know, I'll get some fantastic bucks on camera daylight and leading up to the season. And you know how it is two weeks before season, that weekend or two before season, that's when guys start their scouting. Yep. Hanging their stands, stuff like that. Man, it just blows them woods up. And what I've noticed is once that deer gets about three and a half, he's got it figured out pretty good, you know, especially in a pressured area. And what I noticed, those those older deer, once they're three and a half or older, mature bucks, um, they get a little bit of that pressure on public, and it seems like they'll shift. Now, some will stay on the public if you can find them. But if you're in a kind of an ag country type deal, um, smaller parcels, what I noticed is them bucks will just shift right over to private property. You know, yep. they'll just lay up there till rot. You know, they get that pressure on the public in those hill country, uh, ag country areas. And I noticed they'll shift to the private a little bit for security. And then come the rut, they get stupid. And that's when you can kill them in those areas. Yep. For sure. For sure. So man, let, let's, let's jump into that a little bit. We, you just mentioned guys start their scouting right in October, right there yeah. before the season starts. And you know, and, uh, an, another thing that I have started, you know, doing obviously over the last several years, uh, doing a lot of postseason scouting. You're one of the yep. first guys that I've talked to, though, <clears throat> who would call themselves a rut hunter, but also says, man, postseason scouting is my bread and butter. So kind of yes. the, the topic I wanted to cover with you today is postseason scouting specifically with hunting the rut in mind. Right. I, I think, you know, a lot of the content that I see about postseason scouting and a lot of the content that I've created on postseason scouting is targeted big picture, right? Like postseason scouting as a general rule. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you're taking everything into account. You're like, okay, there's there's oak trees over here. There's a clear cut over here. There's some cluster rubs over here. I mean, you, you've got to map the whole thing out. When you're talking about postseason scouting specifically for hunting the rut, I feel like that's a little bit different. So, Tell me a little bit about, you know, the starting point for you when it comes to your postseason scouting. And then as you give some answers, I'll dig in a little bit of like what specifically you're looking for. So where do you start? Um, it, it first starts with your maps. You know, I'm pulling up uh, public land chunk, aerial maps. I'm focusing on usually some type of clear cuts, 
I want transition. I want edge. You can usually see on your aerial maps, you can kind of see a couple different things coming together uh, vegetation-wise. Um, a lot of times I can read the topo lines on those maps also and kind of see where there's a possibility of a good transition edge along with terrain features coming together in one certain location. I will pin those locations. That's where a lot of times I will start. I will park the truck. I'm heading right to this point here. Um, I don't always find what I'm looking for in those situations. Sometimes I may work off those areas a couple hundred yards. It's just hard to say. Um, but a lot of times that's what I do is I, I, I'm not a bed hunter. I'm a bedding area hunter. I'm usually going to focus on the thick cover, especially here in public. And you've got to have adequate enough of cover also. Um, if you just have a block of timber, it's three, 4,000 acres, and you got two or three clear cuts that are maybe 50, 100 acres each, that's really not much cover to hold, to be able to, what I look for is you want to be able to find these areas of public land that when the rifle pressure comes in, that these bucks got somewhere to lay up, either thick clear cuts, large clear cuts, multiple clear cuts, or really steep, nasty slopes, terrain, where these bucks can, can get through the rifle season to get a year or two more on them. That's something I really key on when I'm looking for things. That's kind of my starting point in my maps. And then boots on the ground or these areas I pinned, then I'll start working off of those areas. Once I find these areas, if they look promising, you know, that's kind of on the macro level, you know, yep. once you get in them, then you got to break those areas down to micro level. You know, that's where, okay, you see these terrain, but you got to stop and look at this spot. You're a rut hunter. We're trying to hunt that travel pattern. Either them bucks are going to be chasing those, looking for those, you know, rubbing it, you know, doing a scrape line, wherever it is. That's where you got to sit down a micro level, a micro level in that area and read the topography, read the transition, and pick that kill tree out or two. You know, you got to think, okay, how's my access? What's the wind rush? What the thermal is going to be? You kind of got to sit there and take your time in there and really break that down once you find that area. And you do it long enough, you kind of get that sixth sense, the spidey sense tingle a little bit. You know when you're in a spot. I had that last, this past Saturday, I was scouting a new area, a bunch of big clear cuts, and I found a just a tight pinch. There was a uh, natural spring coming off the side of a ridge and an old logger. Man, they were just pinched down there. Beautiful pinch point for a camera. Well, I worked up on top of a kind of a flat, and as soon as I got to that flat, I mean, I knew I was in it. Um, mm. You were surrounded by cover. There was multiple terrain features coming together at a transition edge. There was sign from this year, historical sign also, and there was two big natural scrapes. Like, I, like UK, you check, check, check. Like, all right, all I got to do is figure out which wind, thermals, and how they access. That's a spot I'll go in three, four days. If the buck I want in there, a good chance I'm going to see him, and a good chance I make an arrow in him. Yeah. So I want to back up to a couple of different things there. Um, you know, number one, you're hunting big woods, whitetails most of the time, right? Yeah. When it, when it comes to not, I know you start, you start with the maps, you're looking for edges, you're looking for terrain features and kind of where they come together. Uh, one of the big things that, that I'm learning right now, kind of hunting in the big woods, right. And it's a steep learning curve going from Southern Wisconsin farmland to big woods, uh, just trying yeah. to find concentrations of deer. Where are the yeah. deer at? Because you mentioned off air earlier, 90% of it's crap. You know, yeah. 90% of it's yeah. not going to hold the deer. So what tells you, I mean, obviously you're talking sign, but like what's going to tell you when you get in there that like this is the concentration of deer that's worth hunting as opposed to an area that's like, yeah, the deer are here at some point, but not not what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, it, it yeah, it's sign-based. Um, you get in around, like, I, 
a place I was in a couple of weeks ago. Was, I'm trying to say how, how do I word this? It's almost like I was violating them. <laughs> like I was in a, like in this bedding area. And I, like you almost felt like I shouldn't be in here because like it was so it was such an awesome bedding area. Mm. It was like like you just you could just sense like the deer were in there. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. You could just tell you were up in their shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I got in this spot and what, what's cool about it, you find these, you know, you find these fantastic bedding areas. You're going to see all the historical signs. It's going to be and like, I'm like I said, I'm a bedding area hunter. And what I've learned is some of these clear cuts and some of these areas, maybe east, south facing slopes, stuff like that, are going to hold deer. It's bucks and does. You know what I mean? So I'm going to find a concentration of beds, buck or doe. I'm going to find a concentrated droppings. And then you're going to see your historical sign from this year, from years past. And then you got to kind of look out from that, your, your terrain and stuff like that outside of that. You know what I mean? What's leading into it? Where are they going? Where's the food? Um, that's going to tell you a lot. And that's where you're going to find that concentration of deer. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, you know, you may get lucky and find areas that, you know, maybe not far from ag called private ag or something like that. Um, or another good food source. Yeah. The clear cuts themselves are always fantastic. Uh, food source depending on their age but um yeah i mean at the end of the day it is signed you yeah. know and like things kill i mean deer poop man they can't hide it <laughs> you, <Yeah>. know? <laughs> they can't, you know it's you know and you get a concentration that and you got to pay attention to details you get in there and you see where they're browsing you know look yeah. at the twigs look at the brush look where they're snipping off you know uh you know they digging up fern bulbs stuff like that you know all that kind of stuff you know you got to pay attention to all those little details that's going to tell you where they're at and it you know you know, the buck sign's great and all that, like I said, and I see bucks and does, you know, all bedding together, blah, 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 and these clear cuts and stuff. But um, when I find a good pocket of does, like, you know, they're in there, them does typically um, are going to stay generally around the same area a lot of time. Man, I mark out because the run hunter, that's number one. You know, it, it's the does. You can find a concentration of does. Um, that's something I noticed that you can tell in the postseason scout a lot of times. You can usually tell when you find those areas where those does are concentrated. They've been in there for a little while. You know, you can kind of tell by reading by the sign. And those areas on mark because that's really important uh, come the rut for the following year. Yeah. You mentioned something there in your in your answer that I thought was really good. And it's it's kind of a lesson that I've been learning the hard way over the last handful of years as I've grown as a public land hunter. Um, and that is I'm not a buck bed hunter anymore. Uh, I am a bedding cover hunter or bedding area hunter, yeah. kind of like you yeah. said. And I, I, yeah. I see almost this, this tendency where it's been sold to folks online, on social media, in podcasts and videos. Well, yeah, I scouted this area out. There's does and little bucks, so I'm moving on. So a, as if yeah. by definition, a big buck's not going to be there because the other deer yeah. are there. They don't want to be anywhere near them. Personally, I've had better success with bigger deer just by getting around where lots of deer are. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So tell yeah. me about your, yeah. you know, you said you're not a buck, a buck bed hunter. You're a bedding area hunter. How did you make that mm-hmm. transition? Uh, I think just trial and error over the you know, trial and error over the years, hunting public land. Yeah. You know, I've been hunting since I was 14 years old. I've done, you know, 31 years of it. You know, you just kind of learn the ins and outs of it. You know, you do a lot of stupid shit, make a lot of mistakes, <laughs> and you start putting things together. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And and what I've learned is, the honesty is, the thick cover is going to hold them. You know, the cover in general yeah. is going to hold these deer, and that's and and like I said, I man, there's so much stuff out there, and with with a lot of this, with bucks only do this and only do that, and 
man, I've hunted the Midwest. I've hunted PA. And, yeah, I've seen the bucks use the wind. I've seen it up their ass too. You know, I've seen yeah. bucks, you know, they say, oh, they're, they're going to, they're only going to go down one of a scrape. Well, most of the time I see they come right through the damn scrape. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you know, I've seen some, there, there's no, there's no never and always are two things that don't happen with whitetails. Yep. You know what I mean? There, there's all, I've seen so many big bucks across this country. And I've been out do stuff that you're told they don't do. Yep. You know what I mean? So that's something I've learned over the years is, is you got to take everything of a grain of salt. And you got to put your time in the tree and learn yourself. Because um, sometimes, man, some of this stuff that's out there, I scratch my head with all the times. Man, I'm out doing a rut. Them some bitches run everywhere sometimes. You know, <laughs> they don't care where the wind's at or whatever. I see some big bucks do some stupid shit. Yep. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, you got to take out all the grain of salt a little bit for a lot of that stuff. And like, so a lot of it's just been trial and error over the years. And like I said, something that you, you start to learn and you hear is, you know, they're an animal of edge, that transition that's the best place to start and you're typically going to find deer in around those areas. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, your specific locations that you're trying to hunt during the rut, obviously your starting point is, you know, vegetation edges or, mm-hmm. um, you know, terrain features or even better where the two come together, right. Where they create yeah. where a, a, a nice edge, you know, either crisscrosses or something like that with a, with a nice terrain feature yeah. kind of X marking the spot. Tell me about like, what's your ideal, you know, setup once you get there? Like, are you looking for, are you looking to hunt and, and, and pick deer off from, you know, a, a, um, a specific, you know, terrain feature? Like, are, you know, are you thinking, well, it's, it's November 3rd, so I'm sitting a terrain feature. Or are you thinking I, I need to hunt the freshest, hottest sign. I need the hottest scrape in the area, or I need the highest concentration of rubs or the highest concentration of doe beds. Like what is kind of your concentration when it comes to, you know, your setups during the rut? Uh, if, if I had to like, you got to say, I got to pick one situation to hunt during a rut. Yep. If you can get me in a hub system. Okay. Basically say your clear cuts are on top of all your ridges and you have all those ridge points dumping down in to a bigger Creek bottom where you have multiple Creek crossings where you can focus in on, um, a spot like that, um, you can use that Creek for access. You know, um, you got to watch hunting the bottom, of course, but a lot of times these creek bombs are open enough where you can get a steady wind and you can have, you'd be okay. You're okay with your wind. Um, but if you can get a hub system like that, um, it can be dynamite and you, you can take it the other way too. I told people you can be on top of a ridge system also and have a similar setup where your ridge points are all running to the top at like a spoke of a wheel and have cover in around there too. It's like mountain world on the side of the, the, the uh, ridges and stuff on the points, um, brushy points. You know, you can get on top of those points also on top of those hubs. Um, that you can even be in a bottom looking one or a top looking one, if that makes sense of a, a spokes of a wheel. Um, cause then you have multiple lines of travel. You, you know what I mean? Then bucks are coming in different ways. And, and, and that's why I always try to tell guys like, I love hunting tree crossings. Tree crossings are dynamite, you know, but that's just one. Now, if you have multiple points dropping down into that creek bottom, you multiply that by as many points are dumping that dumping down into that system. You know what I mean? Yep. You want multiple things if you can coming into a general. Th- those multiple things don't need to be thirty yards apart. It, it might be a two hundred you know yard area of a hub system, but there's there's half a dozen hubs or half a dozen points dumping down in that hub system. You know, you just got to think out like a bigger picture in some of those situations on travel pattern to where a bunch of things are coming to a certain location and you're basically in the center of that capitalizing on that, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. So we're talking, yeah. you know, at putting as many, uh, as many features as possible in, yeah. in kind you, of you one. Can. Okay. okay. Yeah. There, there's situations 
situations where, you know, I'm only hunting, you know, there might be a situation where I have a ditch crop, like I'm on the side of a ridge and there's erosion ditch or ditch system or natural spring where they've got to funnel around. You're kind of only hunting one, you know, basically one particular travel pattern situation like that. But that just depends on your scouting and what, how you confidence you feel in that spot, you know? Sure, sure. So when it comes to, you know, postseason scouting, you're out there looking for sign, you're, you're getting into these areas with, you know, edges and with terrain features and that kind of thing. What kind of sign means the most to you? Because, uh, you know, rut during the rut, bucks are laying down a ton of sign, especially if you start to get in some of these yeah. areas of constant, of, you know, high deer concentration. It can be really hard to pick out, like, what's the right sign to sit near or over? Or, you know, is, is this something I should walk past to get on to something that's better What's the sign that kind of trips your trigger where you're like, okay, this is the spot now. I mean, like, I mean, I, I you know, I'm big on the in-season scouting also in situations like that. Yep. You know what I mean? You, you know, you get into something good. Now this is something I picked up from Nathan Killen is sometimes you don't want to sit right on top of that hot sign. Mm. Um, that's where your terrain features come in big, you know, okay. You, maybe however the ridge system lays or something like that, find some bigger ups and big scrapes access sucks, you know, say or something, you know what I mean? But you follow that ridge point out, maybe comes out to a point of a ridge where you could access it better. You can catch that travel coming up that point and along that upper third of that ridge or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you might be off that side, that side hundred yards, but your access, your wind, your thermals are better. Um, you're not right on top of that sign. Sometimes you need to just be off of that sign a little bit in a terrain feature where you're not hunting the sign, you're hunting the terrain. Um, it's kind of hard to explain to either to show people sometimes something like that. Um, but like I said, sometimes you don't want to sit right on top of that hot sign. Now, you, like I said, you might get into, like I said, one of them hub systems and I hunt them. They're tore up everywhere sign, rubs and scrapes and everything. You just, you plop down in the right tree, you're going to have a pretty damn good day. But other situations, yeah, you can get caught up in that hot sign to where your access sucks, it, you know what I mean? And that's something I think that that's really hard to understand for guys is your entering exit is really key on finding that good tree. Um, that's going to make and break you a lot of times. Hey, guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Yeah, so it sounds like to me, um, you know, with postseason scouting being huge for you but then also it's kind of a starting point right like you've you found an area then when you go in again on october 29th you're scouting your way in even (laughs) still even though you know what generally goes on there you're kind of confirming it all on the way in yeah how i tell guys this you got your postseason scouting you got your summer trail camera data into your fall trail camera data then you have your end season scouting 
You need to put all of that together. Yeah. You put all that together. That's what's going to put you in the right situation uh, a lot of the times. You know, yeah. just don't focus on the. I mean, in season scouting is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. And, and so is trawl cameras, and so is post scouts. Put it all together, and it, man, you you are going to be one up on them. Man, you know, use all that you've gained, all that knowledge, and then go in and kill. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, over the last couple of years, with the with the onset of a lot of guys on YouTube who are doing a lot of you know traveling to hunt and that kind of stuff, and and for their style and what they're doing you know, in-season scouting is all they can do because they're in a state that's yeah. 15 hours yeah. from home. And so oh, there was yeah. almost this trend, and I don't know if you noticed it too, where postseason scouting is kind of just like, ah, nope, don't worry about postseason scouting. Just do in-season yeah. scouting. And my thing is, like, how do you know where to start with your yeah. in-season scouting if you haven't done your postseason scouting? It's going to take you too long to get in the chips, if you wait until in season scouting, you're going to be, you're always going to be behind the deer. You're going to be trying to catch up unless you knew what they, unless you know what they did last year. Yeah. It makes it tough when you go into these out of state hunts, you know, I've done it myself. Um, that's where, you know, if I get a situation, I'd like say I'm going to a new state. So I'm going to Kentucky or something like that. And I got seven to nine days to hunt in a rut. I'll be honest with you. The first two days, I'm probably not getting in a tree. Plus I find, I mean, I might have stand on my back. I'm scouting. You know what I mean? To be honest with you, if you're an in-season scout to me, you're better off to break down. You're, ready. you're better off to blow out the timber a little bit, put your time in, you know, blow it up a little bit, get in there and know what's going on. You know what I mean? Because you can still see your historical sign. You're going to see the fresh sign. You still should be able to put everything together to put yourself in the right spot. But, you know, in a situation like that, yeah, you, you know, I'd rather spend two days of my hunt and scout the shit out of everything before I even climb the tree. Yeah, so – so you're 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 putting a lot of priority on getting that sign. How worried are you about or getting that intel that you need? How worried are you about you know blowing a buck out of the area? You know if you're there for a a nine day rut hunt. You know, you know I look at this. You know, like I said, there's a lot. You'll get these areas that I think are pretty sensitive. <laughs> you know, you'll know when you're in them. I don't necessarily want to get right in it where he's bedding necessarily. Cause sometimes it's thick, nasty, whatever. You can kind of read the, read enough in around them thickets, around that thick stuff, probably know what's in there. You know, trail cameras, it's hard out of state to know exactly what's there. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't worry about blowing. I don't think deer or these bucks, like, move to another county. Yeah. Um, unless it's gun pressure or driving, they're just circling back. I mean, I, you know, we all run trail cameras. You know, we bump deer, we hit deer, and you see them a week later. Yep. You know, it, you know, like you had the story. You're the the one forty you killed. You, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. It, you know, you know. I, I don't think they go that far. Uh, I think you went an area. I think you can blow it up a little bit. Like I said, there's some probably some areas that are a little sensitive than others. These bucks, you know, call home mm-hmm. these core areas and certain little, you know, blowing them out of these tight spots. Maybe I don't want to go into some of those areas. Um, but I don't, I'm not afraid to walk around a property and do a little, you know, do a little damage, you know? Yeah. One light bulb moment that I had this past fall. So I went into a spot October 31st. It's traditionally really good. I go in there October 31st. It's not any good. I hunt the same general vicinity and I know two other guys were hunting this general vicinity as well. Um, November 1st and 2nd and it's dead. There's no sign, no nothing. I kind of make a big yeah. loop around the property. I return to it really just to access down this little path. And I get in there and on my way in, I start finding fresh sign, like fresh, fresh sign. And I get in there and yeah. it's like the place is shredded. And I'm like, okay, there must've been a buck that moved into the area. 
and he he ended up coming through a 120 inch eight point downwind and uh yeah. busted me yeah. but it's like he wasn't there a few days earlier and now he is yeah. and that that scouting was so worth it to get in there and find out that intel yeah. and i don't yeah. you know with that yeah. many guys in there he still didn't care he still moved into that area oh i i made a mistake this past season um november 4th um one of the bucks i was after he gave me an opportunity um, but the opportunity was 50 yards. Um, it's one, that's a, that's a poke. Yeah. I'm pretty confident in my shooting ability and he had no clue I was there. And and it was like one of those now it's like, but it was 70 degrees. You know, it was that hot spell. You know, you yeah. put a mediocre shot in beer or got, man, you're going to lose it all. You know what I mean? And, you know, and I second guessed myself about it and I did shoot him. Well, that spot ended up. I had a couple crossbow hunters come in. I had a camera in that area. Had a couple crossbow hunters, a couple feds, and I'm like, this is done. This part is blown up. It's over with. Man, there were so many big bucks on that damn camera after that. It just showed me <laughs> they don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't tell in teams I've had guys walk through the woods. You know, they're screwing on my licking branch, on my scrapes and shit. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and two days later, you got 140 inch on. You yeah. know, I think sometimes we we take it a little too far sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I agree, man. So, there's a theory that I've kind of been working on the last two years and, you know, especially with the whole, you know, hunting public land craze, everybody wants to go further than everybody else. Yeah. And, and basically yeah. what I started finding is like, if you get to a spot where a guy can walk in a mile and a half, if you get in there and you, you hunt, you know, about that quarter mile mark, you're going to see a lot of sign. And then you get way back in there in the full mile and a half, you're going to see a lot of hunter sign, but there in the yeah. middle, there's like this sweet spot where you're going to see deer sign and not a lot of hunters. Cause some guys feel yeah. like they got to go all the way back and some guys are just lazy. They're not going to go that far. Yeah. I've had a lot of success the last two years hunting just beyond like the hunting pressure that I can find. It's like, there's this threshold yeah. where it's like, okay, yeah. you know, yeah. about this yeah. far in and then just farther than that is where I end up, you know, running into a lot of deer. Have you seen something similar to that? Um, I, I've kind of been all over the board. Like I, I, you know, you're the parking lot bucks, stuff like that. And I've been in situations where I find them right off the road. Um, and I found them we're two miles back in. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen a little in between, but there is that kind of a sweet spot, um, quarter mile, give or take or something. You will see a lot of hunting pressure. Um, and it does seem as soon as you get past that hunt pressure, the sign will start to pop. Um, a lot for me in the big woods and mountains, it has to do with topography. Um, most guys don't want to do a couple hundred foot decline and incline. They, yep. they don't. Most guys, usually just your diehards will do that. And, uh, when you're hunting these big, vast public land areas, there's not so many, there's not too many of us diehards. Um, so some of the places back in, um, with the real steep terrain, stuff like that, that's usually where I start to find the sign that could be a half mile. It could be two miles. It, that don't, it just depends on topography. That's typically where I start to see the sign, lose the hunter sign with some type of structure, topography, yeah. creeks, or something like that, then it starts to, you know, um, then it starts to really get into stuff. It, it just fluctuates with the, the space, I guess, of what I've seen. Yeah. It depends. I think it all depends on where you hunt. Yeah. You know. Some kind of, it sounds like some kind of meaningful barrier is, is kind of yeah. a part of what yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, most guys don't want to do a couple hundred foot decline to get down the hub system, then they got to come back out or, you know, go over a couple of ridges. But I noticed most people don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so let, let's let's jump in. We're talking, you know, postseason. Obviously, we've been talking about sign and that kind of thing. You know, when it comes to you know looking at scrapes and kind of evaluating scrapes, what scrapes are? First of all, how important are scrapes to you? I mean, obviously, they're great for taking inventory and that kind of stuff over. But yeah. how important are they to your hunting strategy? And you know, which ones are are important? If if you're like, hey, there's some that I'm really getting after. You know, what what kind of scrapes are those? And how do you how do you distinguish those from just the you know, every other scrape in the woods? Uh, scrapes are a big, big part of my game. I don't necessarily hunt right directly over scrapes. Um, typically in my setups, yes, there could be one within shooting distance. could be one in 100 yards, whatever it is. You know, it, it plays in there somewhere. Um, the biggest thing with the scrapes for me in the Big Woods Mount is inventory. Um you know, that is a big part of it because that's one of the best things in the world to get even summer velvet picks through the rut. Is It's fantastic for inventory because um, I'm not after one specific buck. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't do that. I'm looking for opportunity, you know. So I'm looking for an area, a big hot scrape or something that has maybe three or four shooters, three or four bucks that I'm interested in. Now what I do with that scrape, okay, that's told me this area holds three or four mature bucks. That's where I'm going to concentrate my time in a stand because I got – three or four times a chance to run into a buck I'm after. Um, and when it comes to what type of scrape I'm looking for, I mean, those big primary community type scrapes, you know, typically in your hub systems in around that edge, that cover, those are scrapes, those are scrapes that typically get a lot of activity. Um, you know, those hub scrapes were, like I said before, where if you had to pick a perfect spot for me is these hub systems, um, where there's multiple ridges, multiple terrain features coming together, man, you get a big old scrape in one of those, Man, that's dynamite. I can tell you so much information what's going on there. And you have an area like that over two, three years, you start to get historical data built up in those. Man, you can get a ton of intel over a few years what's going on. You can pinpoint based when that area is going to heat up. Yeah, yeah. That That's something I tried to to kind of do this year, you know, keeping keeping my cameras or getting my cameras on those, you know, scrapes that are the year over year yeah. kinds of scrapes. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. Like you said, you can tell exactly when that, when that spot is beginning to heat up, like right as you need to be, you know, yeah. getting into there basically. Yeah. So let's talk about these yeah. spots when you find them and you're hunting in a, you're hunting in the big woods, which is a little bit different. I, I, I've never quite been comfortable with going full bore on the, first sit, best sit. If I don't see a buck, I'm out and I'm moving on to the next spot. I feel like I need to give it a little bit more time and that's played out and done well for me. The more I have, the more I've, you know, had confidence in that as opposed to, well, I didn't see a buck. So I got to go find somewhere else because I blew it up and it's all over with. Yeah. How long are you given a spot? A lot of times it depends on access and the wind. You know, if you got really great access, I have multiple shooters I know in that area. If I get away hunting seven days, I'll hunt seven days in a row. Okay. You know what I mean? There is no time frame for me. I, you know, I may hunt one spot one day. Um, things change, conditions. Um, we all have that, you know, sense where something ain't just right. I need mm. to get out of there. You know, something just tells you. Um, there's our time to tell you I need to sit it out. Um, most part, I'm going to give a spot a couple of days. Okay. Um, this actually this past year, as hot as it was, um, I think that's what really led to my downfall with this heat this last year is I couldn't focus on one area. I was moving too much, mm. you know, and I think when you need to get in the big woods mountains, man, you, you, man, cause 
there's no pattern really to these big woods bucks, these yeah. mountain bucks, to my opinion. You know, you may have to sit a spot two, three, four days in a row if conditions line up to get him to come back through. You know, if you watch your trail cam pitchers, sometimes you get that outlier bucks in there pretty regularly on a scrape or something, but typically it's every two, three, four days, maybe once a week yeah. he's in there. You've got to give that time to play out. And when I look at this, if you've got a buck coming on camera, he's probably in there one or two times you're not seeing him on camera also. you got to take that into play. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. you've got to let those spots almost play out sometimes. I think, uh, and that, like I said, this year, I I'm, I preach at sitting, to sit one spot multiple days. And be honest with you, I didn't do it till the last week of the season because of the weather. I pretty much hunkered down the hub system the last six days, and three out of the six days when I had that really great weather, um, I almost killed yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. Just ran out of time there, but that just shows you, like, I preach it, and I was going against the majority <laughs> of the rough because that he was throwing me a curveball. You know, yeah. metal game. Yep. It's a metal grind. And even if you do this long enough, it gets to you, uh, especially in the weather, and something something's going wrong. And, uh, you know, the weather changed, start folks in, you know what you got to do to kill. And uh, that just goes to show me, like, yeah, I get, you got to, you know, what I preach, I got to listen to, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, you can move way too much, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think I think these days, um, not only if if you're not seeing anything, not only are you more inclined to want to, but there's so much information out there today that's that's preaching that gospel of first sit, best sit, almost to the extent that it feels yeah. like second sit is garbage and you'll never see a deer. You know, it's almost it's almost gone killed, too far. Uh, so many bucks I've killed out of the same tree I've set multiple days. You know, maybe I started earlier in the season, a couple, you know, a day, come back maybe late October, hunt of the day, then spent two, three days in the rut and killed. On day four or five, I've been in there in the season. You know, it, it, like I said, a lot of that comes to the – that depends on your setup, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what it comes down to. If you're in a good system where you can access, like I said, your entry and exit's really important in that situation. But if you got great access, great entry, you know, the wind and thermals, everything's working in your favor – um, a lot of times during a rut, you know how the wind is. I'm guessing a big wood. Damn shit shifts every damn five minutes, you know. Yeah. That's why I like hunting these kind of like a hub system where multiple things are coming together. Okay, I'm kind of losing over here, but I still got, you know, plan B, C, and D over here. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's why I don't mind hunting a spot more than one day, too, is because that area, I don't think I'm blowing it out because I have multiple things coming together. That buck can come from anywhere. Yeah. How important is the wind to you then? Like you, you're right. It, 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 it can shift. And, you know, I, I hunt in an area too, that, you know, we're, we're close enough to the Gulf at this point where, you know, we can yeah. get a lot of just weird swirling winds, but we can also get some big fronts that kind of come down from the Northwest. So how important is wind for you when you're on a location and how much of it are you just like, you know what, the wind shifted, I'm on stand, I'm here, I'm sticking with it because there's three other ridges he can come down. Yeah, if I'm in a situation like that, I'm hunting a system where I have, like I said, a couple things coming together. And that sh- wind shifts, and it's kind of hurt me a little bit. I'm probably not leaving, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah, going okay. to rut. I'm probably not leaving. Um, now, if I'm now if I'm looking at the weather, and you know they're calling for west wind, and you know, and it's blowing right into a bedding area. Well, I'm not going to hunt that. Sure. You know, I'm going to pick another spot for the day. You, you know what I mean? But if I get into a situation where he can come from the north, the south, the east, the west. Okay, the wind shifted. It's coming. You know, it's coming out of the north. And, I mean, I'm gonna get burned on that crossing right there. But he can come off one of these points. It's you know, I'm I'm very well. I'm gonna stay there. I mean, maybe I'm lazy because I'm like tear it down and move. You know. Yeah, yeah. But what's nice too? This is big in the mobile game. 
what I like, and this is something that bit me in the ass this year also. We had a lot of east winds, southeast winds. I stayed out of some of these systems because of these hub systems I was hunting because of the east and southeast winds. Well, I went into postseason scouting this year. I was like, man, I should have, I had a, you know, I run a little custom gear. My ass should have had that stand on my back and I should have manipulated the spot. Instead of wearing the tree I had picked out on, you know, it could only work on a west wind. Well, I had a damn stand on my back and it just sort of moved and manipulated the spot, hunted it for the east wind. Yeah. You know, it don't take much to shift where, okay, I'm, I'm burning out a little section, a quarter of the pie, but I'm in the game now. You know, I got all these bucks on camera. I'm not coming in here because of the wrong wind, but you're hunting this hub system. Like, like looking back now, I was like, I was an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's stuff like that. You know, um, you got, you can, if you're mobile, saddle, tree stand, whatever, maybe you need a certain wind for that spot, but don't forget you're mobile. You may be able yep. just to ship 40, 50 yards, manipulate that spot where you're in the game. Yeah. Are you doing anything when you're going in, you know, this time of year, especially talking postseason, and, you know, you get in, you find a spot, you're like, ah, this is right for next year. Are you doing anything to kind of prep a tree or prep the spot or any kind of work that you're doing? Or are you just like, hey, I'm marking it, I'm marking the tree, and I'll be back in November? Um, if I get in an area I feel really, really good about, um, I will take my time and break it down to micro level. I will kind of sit there and, and just sense where I feel the deer travel going to be. And then I kind of play in my head, okay, what's my access? What wind thermals do I need for this specific tree? I'm maybe picking out. Usually I'll try to pick out maybe multiple trees in that general area. Um, for the manipulate spot, you can hunt on multiple winds. Yep. You know, um, that's kind of what I'm doing. You kind of get into a spot. I found a great spot. This is awesome. Mark it on your mapping system. Then you'll come back till fall. Man, if you just take maybe half hour and really sit there and break that area down to micro level, man, that can make a world difference come, come the season. You know what I mean? Um, instead of being 20 yards out of the game, you might be right in it now. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Cause I think that's, uh, that's an area where I have really struggled in the past. And I think that's the difference between, you know, when I talk to, I, I talk to a lot of guys, I mean, obviously hosting a podcast, you get a lot of folks reaching out and with questions or giving you their experiences mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of guys, you know, have the stories like I do of, man, this is the spot where I saw, you know, the 135 inch deer trot by, you know, looking for a doe and there was nothing I could do to stop him or turn him. Or, you know, right over here is where I saw this and I could, you know, I was out of the game by 20 yards. I think that sitting down for a second and thinking and really picking that spot apart and finding the, you know, fine tuning exactly which tree you need to be in and understanding why that's the tree you have to be in is the missing link there. So, you know, tell me a little bit more about some of the things that are running through your mind that you're trying to dial in so that when you climb up, you're pretty confident that, that you're in the kill tree rather than the watching tree. Now, now, what's hard when you first find these spots, you feel pretty damn good about it. Like I said, you're going to break it down to micro level. Um, you're you're going to just run maybe scenarios through your head, stuff like that. You've seen the past. That's where experience comes in, some things. Yeah. What you've seen deer do before, run certain edges, terrain features. You know, maybe there's a big scrape there. You kind of play that in. But when it comes to picking that kill tree, I will be honest with you. I don't typically pick the tree the first year. Okay. Um, that usually is year two or three. I get in there, you're up a tree, 15, 20, whatever feet. Then you you see it play out. You yeah. see it live. Now you can start, you know what? I, I Like, shit, light bulb. I see, like, that hub system I sat at last week this year, 
Um, I would, I would just, just out of the game. Now I want, now I took that information this year, sitting in that tree, went in there postseason scouting. Now I feel like I'm in the tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes it may take a season or two. You, you may get, Hey, depending on the terrain, the funnel, how tight it is. Sometimes I said, you're in these bigger, maybe a hub system or, or like in that big woods, those funnels aren't like an inside corner, like of a farm country or that real tight funnel in a farm country, a fence row. These big woods, sometimes these funnels are big. These, these travel areas, yeah. these hubs are bigger. It takes a little bit to fine tune though. So that's where it may take a season or two to sit in that spot. That's where it's key to you hunt a spot three, four days in a row. Man, you learn a lot in those three, four days to where now you can really possibly that season you can make a real quick move, of course, being mobile, or you go in there posting a scout, and then you, the next season or two, that's when you really, really fine-tune to find that tree. You know, from what, from just that live being in that tree during the season, you can really start to break down stuff. You know, yes, you can be on the fly move, of course, you know, you're two, three days in a spot. You keep seeing a deer 40 yards over. Well, of course, you want to want to move. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, but sometimes you kind of, like I said, you get in there, you see the big picture, you go back in your postseason scout, man. You can really put the pieces of the puzzle together. Then that's when I can really fine tune a spot and find a kill tree. Um, I've been pretty good with that over the years. When I find that tree, um, I get in a certain time frame, the weather lines up. Um, if the bucks I'm looking for in there, I can usually put an arrow in one. Yeah, man. It- it, it sounds like you're doing a really good job of playing, I, I don't want to call it the long game, but that's kind of what it is. Like, you, you really are yeah. playing the yeah. long game. Like, you're, yeah. you know, exactly. every hunt may may be setting, you know, if you're out on November 4th this year, it may be setting you up for success next November 4th. Act 100%, you know, 100%. As opposed yep. to necessarily yep. pushing, the, pushing the limits yep. that day and, you know, pushing in too far. On that on that front of pushing in too far, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier was your your access, and it sounded to me like you were saying, you know, you will, you know, at, rather than push too far into it, you know, you, you get to the spot that you feel like is a, is a good spot. It sounds like you're going to sacrifice a little bit for the sake of having great access. You know, you might be in in what you would consider maybe your number two or number three, you know, top tree in the area. For the sake yeah. of, well, my access didn't blow them out. Is that true? Yeah. And, you know, kind of walk me through your thought process with that. Yeah, I think the access, your entry and exit, that's how you, you know, if you're going to hunt a spot multiple times, that's really key. Um, but there is a situation you have to be aggressive to. You know, mm. sometimes you're going to roll a dice. I'm going in. I'm going to do some damage here. Maybe maybe you're, you know, say you're in a situation like that, you're on a spot two, three days in a row. The access is great. But like that stuff comes into play. Maybe you're seeing something. You're just out of the game a little bit. Um, and if you know you push a little more, it's going to be a aggressive move. But hey, what do you got to lose? You yeah. know, sometimes in that situation where you got to roll a dice and you're going to go in, you're going to dive in and be aggressive. You may get one swing at it, but that might be all it takes. Um, yeah. A lot of this is just situational. Uh, I mean, the longer you do, you see it, a lot of different things. It's just situational. And in the, the day, man, <laughs> we just need to get lucky. End of the day, <laughs> that's what it comes yeah. down to. You know yeah. what I mean? For it really sure. does, you know. For sure. Yeah, so uh, one last question that I've got for you, at least when it comes to, you know, hunting the rut and, and how, you know, your postseason scouting and all that, you know, plays into all of this. When you get into that spot that you think is, is a good spot because of your postseason scouting, right? Like you, you found good scrapes there, the, you know, the year before. There's a terrain feature that meets a vegetation edge that pinches them down real nice, you know, as good as you can hope for in, yep. in the big woods. Um, 
you sit there though, and you see nothing but does and a couple of dinks, like just a couple small bucks cruising through during the day. How long are you going to give that spot before you move on? Or, you know, are those smaller bucks giving you enough confidence that like, Hey, it's just a matter of time. I just got to put the time in at this point. Well, that's where the camera part of it comes into play. Like I said, okay. you have your postseason, you have your in-season scout, and you have your camera. If I got cameras, I told people before this, um, I've been on podcasts about this before and said, I don't care about nighttime pitchers. I can care less about the nighttime pitchers. If he's showing up multiple times at night, or like I said, I have multiple bucks, okay, they're nocturnal to show at night, it's the right. It is just a matter of time. You just got to be patient. They're going to screw up. I've killed a lot of bucks I've only had nighttime pitchers of. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like I said, he might come through a day, just not coming in front of your camera. You got to realize that. You know, we've all sat in the woods, seen thirty damn deer, not one walk by a camera. Maybe you were near. You know what I mean? Yep. You got to take that grain of salt we got on camera. Um, but me, if I'm getting those multiple shooters, even at night, you know, I'm in there. One's going to screw up eventually. One's going to be on a door looking for dough in daylight. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're going to give it a little bit more time. You're not necessarily worried about. You know, yeah. If there's good bucks in the area, yeah. you're not you're not bailing just because all you're yeah. seeing is one and a half year old. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but if you're a spot, you can you like so you do it long enough, you're gonna kind of know. You know, if you're le- looking at your camera data, the sign's not there, things just aren't lining up. You know what I mean? That's when you know maybe maybe got some hunt pressure. Some things are just telling you, you know, what, I need to bail. I need to get out of here. Maybe possibly in a situation. You know, you got to just look at a couple things. I guess you could say. You know what I mean? and make that decision. A lot of times you just get that sense to where things just aren't lining up and sometimes you just got to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. So what's, uh, what's coming up for you for 2023? Do you have any big hunts planned for, for this coming fall? Well, well, I, this wasn't planned. Um, I go to Iowa every five years. Okay. Um, down in the Van Buren County, you know, I've killed three good bucks down there. Um, I wasn't planning on drawing for a few years. Uh, something come up. I, I was offered a, uh, to jump in on a on a lease in another zone, which I could possibly draw this year. I'm hoping. It looks like I, I got a pretty good chance. Uh, so my ass might be going back to Iowa this year. So oh. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fired up about that. Um, I'll be in Pennsylvania, of course. Um, I may go down. Maryland's not far from me. Um, I may jump down there. And to be honest, if I go to Maryland, that first year and a half year old might die. <laughs> I'm going to go down there. I'm going oh, down yeah. there and have some fun. Oh, yeah. It's, it's September, couple buddies. I thought, you know what? I love chasing good deer, but I like killing deer, too. Yep, that's <laughs> right. I mean, so we might not be picky down there. Um, and it just depends how the season falls. Um, if I don't draw my Iowa tag, um, I think I might go to Kentucky and uh, probably spend some time in Ohio, too. It just depends on how the season falls. Um, if I draw that Iowa tag, um, that will be my season. I will put, um, when I'm off three or four weeks, I will probably spend at least three of them there to kill pretty good buck, I'm hoping. Yeah, so let, let me run this by you, man. I've got uh, I've got three Iowa points, right? So I've been putting in for mm-hmm. the last couple of years, waiting for that magical time when I can yeah. draw. Um, I've had people tell me, basically ask me the question, would you rather go to Iowa every other or every third year or wait for that every fifth year opportunity? Is it worth it to to wait for the the big Southern Iowa experience? Do you think I'm I'm already at three, or should I say you know what I'm going to go ahead and see what I can do now? There there is quality bucks in a lot of different zones in in Iowa. Um, I only can personally talk in zone Van Buren County down around there, the southeastern zone. I spent I've been there three times. 
Um, I killed a 155, a 157, a 160. Um, phenomenal hunting. I mean, yeah. you're passing up 130, 140s that you would, I'd kill every day anywhere else, you know. It is, it is that good, you know, wow. especially for guys that come off the private, or excuse me, off the public land, fresh area, especially the East Coast and stuff. Man, it's a hunter's dream. Um, but there is some other zones you can draw. Um, but for me, I don't know, like me drawing this year, I'm not sure what I'm getting into. Yeah. Um, riding on some friends, I, I, it seems good. Seems like I can kill 150 plus, four and a half, 150 plus, good chance of that. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so they're there. They're, they're across Iowa. Um, but you get down around zone five and six, yeah, you know, they're, it's no secret. That's why it takes basically five years might be more here to point creek keeps going you yep. know what i mean yep. um you know i tell guys i mean don't be afraid to be honest with you if you get a good quality outfitter that tag only comes every five years six years don't be afraid of an outfitter you're gonna kill a buck with a lifetime don't be afraid of that don't ever worry about stuff like that um but the public's all too you know what i mean just depends on what your cup of tea is but uh it is everything they say it is. Um, and one thing I tell guys, take them rattling horns because, man, mm. you'll never experience anything like it when you rattle them horns together because it, uh, it's pretty damn awesome. Really? Yeah. So they, they yep. uh, respond I two pretty to, well. Two or three bucks that killed. Yeah, two or three bucks that killed out there, I killed rattling in. Oh, man. And I couldn't tell you how many bucks that route. It is, it is stupid fun. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hey, like, I was in a pretty special area. I was in a pretty special area. Um, guys I was out there with, they had – uh, a couple hundred acres they own, but they they bordered some like large tracks of private. Okay. Um. That that like like people like traditional hunt three guys, you know. So it was like stupid fun. Yeah. <laughs> there were yeah. some big ass deer I saw. Um. But pretty much in general down here, it, it's phenomenal hunting. But man, I, I keep trying to talk my wife into moving, but she's like, "No, nah, I'll be divorced." Oh. <laughs> she's no. I'm a woman in Iowa. So it's like yeah. son of a bitch, man. Yeah. Well, so we got to deal with it every few years. Yeah. We we just moved from from Wisconsin down to Georgia, and you know we joked around about moving. I told my wife, I said, "I've got one more move left in me my entire <laughs> life," because we've now lived in Alabama, Louisiana, Wisconsin, and Georgia, and we've been married yeah. for thirteen or fourteen years, right? So we've moved a lot. Yeah. And so I told her, yeah. I was like, we've got one more move and one more place that I'm willing to go, and that is Iowa. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, you can forget it. I'm not going anywhere else. We yeah. are we are here yeah. and we are planted. So, uh, yeah. well, man, last thing, are you a turkey hunter at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. There's uh, got one of those up there too. Okay, good deal. Is that is yeah, that, we're turkey hunter. Where does that rank for you when it comes to bucks? Is that just a uh, is that just a, a time filler to get you through the spring, or does that get under your skin? I, it, they can, you know, I, I really enjoy them. It's a rush. Um, they were, they're nowhere near white tails for me. Okay. You know what I mean? There, there's a big gap, but, uh, man, they're fun. They're fun. Yeah. I, I actually started shooting a little 410 TSS. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, single shot. It is just, it is a little red dot on that little gun is so much fun to shoot. With. <laughs> yeah. Aren't they all? Well, and you're a, you're a big guy too. So I'm, I, I've got a little 410 oh, yeah. as well. I bought it for the kids and, yep. um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy, five foot seven, so I'm pretty short. You know what I mean? And uh, that gun yeah. feels small for me. I'd I'd love to see you hold oh, a four ten. Awesome. <laughs> it's like a damn toy. You can only hold it like one hand. It's yeah. a little pistol grip on you know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it, it's so much fun. Yeah, they're fun. Um, our turkey numbers a little bit declined here in PA in this yeah. area. Um, they've actually I mean, it was phenomenal turkey hunting about uh, about four years ago, just crazy. And then the last couple of years, it's it kind of declined a little bit. Um, unfortunately, nobody predator hunts anymore. These coons, yeah. these possums, just man tear up these nests. Um, you know, even myself, I, I need to start trapping. A lot of guys, I think we need to start trapping these damn coons, these possums. You'll see those 
numbers rebound a little bit. But uh, they're fun. They're, they're a good time. It's a, it's a rush here in the Marble in the morning and getting them coming in for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. If, uh, if folks want to find out it. more from you or, or catch up with you on social media, where you at? Uh, Instagram, I'm pretty active. Um, Moose1720. Moose1720. Awesome, dude. Well, have a good evening. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and we'll have to talk again when uh, we start thinking about the rut. Yes, sir. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at howtohuntdeer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.